Hello everyone, my name is Dr. Daniel Simon. I am your host of the Science at UH podcast, sponsored by the University Hospitals Research and Education Institute. This podcast series features university hospitals, cutting-edge research and innovations. Thank you for listening to another episode. Today, I am happy to be joined by Dr. Fabio Cominelli, Chief of the Division of Gastroenterology and Liver Disease and the Chief Scientific Officer of the Digestive Health Institute at University Hospitals. What a treat it is today to be joined by my dear friend and colleague, who is widely considered one of the worldwide experts in inflammatory bowel disease research. In fact, his research group was the first to report that specific blockade of a single pro-inflammatory cytokine, in this case interleukin-1, was effective in reducing tissue disease severity in an animal model of experimentally induced colitis. Dr. Cominelli is one of the highest funded researchers at Case Western Reserve University with R01 grants, a T32 as the PI, and most importantly, the principal investigator and director of the Cleveland NIH P30 Digestive Disease Research Care Center. Fabio, it's really a pleasure to honor you and welcome you today. Before we begin about the science and really sort of dig into your amazing career, Tell me a little bit about yourself. Where did you grow up? Where did you go to medical school? Tell me about your training in Italy and what brought you to the U.S. and eventually to UH. Thank you very much, Dan, for the kind introduction. So I grew up in Florence, Italy. And my father was a general in the Air Force and my mother was a high school teacher. So we did, I didn't have a tradition of medicine in my family. But since I was a child, I always had this passionate desire to help other people, to cure disease. So I, uh, after my high school studies, I went to medical school at the University of Florence, which is one of the oldest universities in Italy. And after finishing my medical school and my training in internal medicine gastroenterology, my mentor and professor in Italy, Professor Paolo Gentilini, who was a visionary in terms of sending his students to abroad to learn more, to obtain rigorous trainings in research and clinical. I went to Los Angeles at UCLA, Harbor UCLA, where I started to work with my American mentor, Bob Zipser. I was doing hepatology at that time. Bob was changing his interest in inflammatory bowel disease, and it's there that I developed a passion for this condition, the very devastating disease for which there was no cure, there is not still a cure today. And then I developed the, the passion to be a physician scientist, so someone who does basic research, but also apply that information to develop new therapies and relieve the sufferings from patients affected by these conditions. So, you know, Fabio, inflammatory bowel disease, which refers to Crohn's disease and ulcerative colitis, affects more than 3 million adults in the United States, according to the CDC. And to date, there really is no cure for this disease. However, as an expert in this field, you've really been a leader in taking us down the path of disease-modifying therapy, similar to what we see now in RA and in psoriasis. Tell us a little bit about what you learned in your lab related to what controls inflammation in the gut. And how is it that we've been able to develop now so many 
effective therapies that have really changed the course of the disease, everything from cytokines to TNF-alpha to other, other therapies. Tell us a little bit, how did that happen and, and how did your lab participate in that? See, I was very fortunate to work in the late 80s with the expert in the new field in research. It was the cytokine field. And I was very fortunate actually to be able to participate in the cloning, in the molecular biology of some of these cytokines. And then in my uh, lifetime career, I've been able to see drugs developed from this basic science discovery for patients approved by the FDA. This doesn't happen very often. As you know, drug takes sometimes 30, 40 years to be developed. So my contribution in the field of cytokines, working with other outstanding mentors such as Charles Dinarello in Boston, who as the, the father of the cytokine field, I was able to demonstrate that blocking a single cytokine such as IL-1 was very effective in producing a, a robust anti-inflammatory effect in, in animal models of colitis at that time. And that was an important concept because at that time there were you know many cytokines, you know, there was many interleukins. Today we have 42 interleukins, many tumor necrosis factor, other type of cytokines. Everybody was thinking that, oh, you block one, and another one takes over, and another one takes over. So that was a very important concept. Then then led to the, the first anti-TNF drug and many other drugs are in the field. Basically, we know that these cytokines now are key mediators of the inflammatory process in these patients, not only in inflammatory bowel disease, but like you said, rheumatoid arthritis, asthma, and other conditions. And by blocking these cytokines, we don't cure the disease, but we are able to really make a very significant effect on disease progression, quality of life of this patient, what, what I call inducing a permanent remission. So a patient can have a normal quality of life and from there have a normal lifespan and normal quality of life. And I had patients at the beginning of this revolution of therapy that were not able to function, they were not able to sit down on a chair, have a normal meal, and then because of this therapy, they were, they were able to have a normal life again. So Fabio, with increased knowledge, obviously you just mentioned that we're now up to 42 cytokines, so you just taught this cardiologist something new. I didn't know they were that many. There are ones that are more specific to the gut. IL-17, IL-23, you know, the list goes on. Are the therapies more specific now to the gut? Are there less immunosuppressive side effects, fighting infection elsewhere? Tell us about what's the state-of-the-art therapy today? Yes, so, you know, when you block these cytokines, they have really multiple pleiotropic effects. Obviously, there are there is also a pay that we price in terms of immunosuppression, possibility of side effects, you know, sometimes possibility or worries about, you know, lymphoma and malignancy. So so the the field now is moving towards blocking cytokines there or pathways that are more specific to the gut, avoiding systemic side effects. Now, we don't have, I would say, cytokines that are specifically to the gut, but for example, there are other treatment blocking influx of lymphocytes into the gut mucosa, the intestine. They are really gut-specific, really. But obviously, it's a very interest of mine and other investigators really to find treatments that are more specific to the gut, to the intestine, and with less side effects systemically in the brain, in other organs, and so on. So, Fabio, IBD is thought to develop as a result of interactions between the environment, genetics, 
And importantly now, the microbiome, the gut microbiome. Many studies have shown that, that gut bacteria and, and the microbiome is different in patients with IBD compared to that in healthy controls. Tell us a little bit, how would your group study the gut microbiome to determine what may be useful to treat IBD? Are there specific bacteria that are bad and, and can our diet play a role in the management of IBD? Yeah, this is an excellent question. And we know now that patients with IBD, similar to other diseases, experience what we define as dysbiosis. So it changed the composition of the millions of bacteria that are in our intestine with decreased diversity. There is decreased diversity of bacteria. And also the predominance of bacteria, they're more pro-inflammatory versus other, they're more beneficial. And although I personally don't think that the gut microbiome per se is the cause of the disease. When we are able to modulate the, the composition and function of the microbiome, we are able to obtain very important results in our patient. A little bit similar to what we have seen for immunotherapy of cancer, for example, where the microbiome composition and function seems to be really a important determinant how a patient responds to chemotherapy and other immunotherapy. So in the case of the microbiome, there are different ways in which we can modulate the microbiome. One is diet. We know that changing the composition of the diet, we can change the microbiome. Therefore, there are some studies now showing, for example, the Mediterranean diet or other diets that are rich, for example, in protein, in certain type of protein are beneficial in our own group at University Hospital Cleveland Medical Center, we are performing now a clinical trials using a diet that is rich in soy protein, so protein of vegetarian origin, and we are having some very important results in this area. And the other way is to administer probiotic, so beneficial bacteria that can correct this biosis. Again, in our group, we have studied both in animal models and patients that we are starting very soon. And the other important area is what we call now postbiotics. So we know that these bacteria produce certain metabolized enzymes. There are they have beneficial effect to the host and to patients. And now we are trying to develop, you know, combination of these metabolites that can be synthesized as drugs and given to patients to have beneficial effects for their gut inflammation. Wow, it's really cool. So uh, we'll have to have you back next year, the year after, to see the results of some of those studies. So Fabio, your group recently published a very interesting paper in gut showing that gay men are more than twice as likely to develop inflammatory bowel disease as heterosexual men. And you obviously, this is very important work and received a very significant grants from NIH to expand this study area. Can you tell us about this research findings and potentially how it can help to prevent or treat IBD in the gay population? Yes, so this is a study a retrospective study that we conducted using a large database of patients from large number of hospitals, almost 120 million patients including in this database, where we study, as you said, the, the prevalence of inflammatory bowel disease in this very important patient population that we know have decreased access uh, traditionally to healthcare. So the, the important thing is that because inflammatory bowel disease is a syndrome with probably different causes in different population, when we're able to identify 
a specific population that is more, I would say, homogeneous and more controllable exposure to the environment, that's where we can really make advances in understanding the cause of the disease. And I give you an example, the genetics of IBD that was originally discovered in the, in the Ashkenazi Jewish population. That's an example of a more homogeneous population where we were able to identify genes and then apply to the to the general population. It gave us incredible information about the genetics of this condition. Actually, IBD is probably the most successful example of a complex disease where the understanding of the genetics allow major important advance. So the, the, this type of research is not only for the purpose of understanding the cause of the disease and, and benefit the entire population, but also to benefit the specific population. We know that these specific population have less access to healthcare. We have developed a special clinic now at Cleveland Medical Center that is staffed by myself and my collaborators, like Dr. Wu Nguyen, where we specifically provide you know, more attention to this patient population, more access, more psychological support, more ethical support. And I think we are very excited about this study. The NIH has shared the enthusiasm for this type of study because I think uh, we can really make a very significant uh, impact in, the, in this disease affected this population. We are doing a similar thing now. We are in the process of receiving another grant with the HIV patient population where, where people affected by HIV, where we are studying the GI manifestation of disease in this patient in relationship to the gut microbiome to find out if the gut microbiome play a role. And we are very excited to work with our outstanding collaborator, Grace McConsky, who is the very famous and international investigator in the field of HIV and also vice president for research here at Cleveland Medical Center to successfully also complete this, this study. So, you know, Fabio, you've told us about a lot of players that are involved in this complex disease, cytokines, the microbiome, environment, even genetic factors and other social determinants. Looking into the future, what do you think we'll be doing to treat IBD three to five years from now? Will there be a cure or will it still be, as you say, management for prolonged remission? I think, you know, probably the, the latter is the most likely outcome in terms of management or permanent remission. I think a cure of diseases, in my opinion, happen by chance sometimes. I mean, if you look, for example, of the Helicobacter pylori story for ulcer disease, again, I was fortunate in my career, Barry Marshall, who won the Nobel Prize for Helicobacter, was a member of my division when I was at the University of Virginia. And really, that's an example how that discovery happened, totally by chance, but incredible discovery that allow us, by treating with antibiotic for two weeks to eradicate an infection that is causing a disease and in the past was cause of morbidity, recurrence, bleeding, and surgery. So I think the, the cure for IBD, in my opinion, would, would occur by chance, by someone very intelligent who will make an important discovery, or by the systematic approach that we're using, you know, step by step, making progress. But I think the, in the immediate future, this is a disease where if we can personalized treatment for each patient, and as I always mention, put the patient in permanent remission, the, these patients are able to have a normal life, normal quality of life, and, and not being affected 
by the devastating effect of this disease when, when the symptoms are uncontrolled or the disease is not under remission by therapy. Well, Fabio, thank you so much for the taking time to speak with us today. You are truly one of the giants of university hospitals, and you really embody our mission of healing, teaching, and discovering in in everything that you do every day. For our listeners interested in learning more about research at university hospitals, please visit uhhospitals.org. Thank you for participating today.